Think sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The United States is cutting more than $200 million in aid to the Palestinian Authority. The decision comes after a review of U.S. assistance to the PA. The funding had been in question for years due to the controversial policy known as Pay to Slay, a compensation plan for Palestinians who attack Israelis. The Trump administration can act as a model for all 68 nations that give money to the Palestinian Authority and to UNRWA. Maybe that will happen. What I would say to my Republican colleagues is please, please explain to voters at home why you allowed Planned Parenthood to continue receiving taxpayers' funds. Please explain to voters at home why anyone would trust politicians who continue to break their promises. Republican leadership has the power to unblock the amendment tree and allow the vote. The question is, what is more important to these Republicans, saving lives or spending money? And now, Stacey Washington. Oh yeah, it's Monday and we're back. <laughs> and super excited to be here. So uh, head over to UrbanFamilyTalk.com and American Family Radio, which is at AFR.net. And... Check out the content over there. Hit the subscribe button. You know, do all that cool stuff. Um, we have a jam-packed show for you today. First of all, we're going to stop talking about how we can stop, stop mass shootings. We can stop mass shootings. We can stop school shootings. We can really make changes that are beneficial to this country. But you have to be willing to do something in order to get that done. So we're going to talk about that in the first segment. Second segment, we have Graham Allen. He's the host of Rant Nation on CRTV. He's coming on the show today. And then we also have in hour two, Ron Coleman. He is an attorney and legal scholar. He's going to talk about Michael Cohen, campaign finance laws, and what to expect now that we've seen the complete shredding of the attorney-client privilege, which used to be sacrosanct and really something that could not be uh, penetrated. And now we've seen that just out of the window. So we're going to uh, talk to him about that in hour two. You can get hour two right here urbanfamilytalk.com, or if you're listening on the Urban Family app, you're just going to go straight through on that. So um, right now, let's, let's, let's dive into this thing. First of all, there's a connection between um, the whole rise of secularism, the fact that so many Americans, like 18% of Americans claim that they don't believe there is a God, um, the idea that we can't have the biblical morals that this country was founded on in the public square anymore. If you look in public courthouses where the Ten Commandments, you know, are, are on display. You see the Freedom From Religion Foundation running around saying, you can't tell people not to kill. You can't tell people not to covet. Why not? Why not tell people not to kill other people? Why not put that on the wall? So when people walk by it, it's a reminder. Hey, you're not in this court for nothing. You may be here to just pay a fine because you parked incorrectly, or you might be here getting prosecuted because you broke one of these commandments. Take heed. Don't, don't be that person. We used to teach this to children in school. We used to let them read the Bible. Even if children weren't professing Christians, they had to read the Bible because in order to read the Bible, they, in order to have an understanding of our culture, American culture, in order to have a good education, they had to ring, read the King James. Reading the King James brought them into a place where they not only understood American culture, but they understood all of the world cultures because the Bible is not just the word of God. It's also a historical document that frames every aspect of our lives. And when we take that out, it's no wonder that everything gets jumbled. Without a frame, 
things are incomplete, without a source to which we can hey, refer back to and double check and say, this is this correct? It's like trying to do a, a, a college course or trying to teach kids a, a particular set of curriculum without the textbooks. I don't mean teaching it from the online textbook. I mean, no textbook at all. Just some person who once learned it kind of winging it and leaving out all the good bits. That's what's happening right now. So the first thing we need to do is understand why it is that we've had the protection that used to be over our society as a whole. We've always had violence. As long as men are alive and they're, they're at work someplace, present in a situation, you're going to have sin and you're going to have violence. But to the degree that we have it now, to the level that we have the kind of violence where people are mass shooting, you, you don't win a video game, go back and shoot the place up. This is not all coincidental or uh, the modern times or as the mayor of London, just a consequence of having people of different backgrounds living together. You, you know, you, if you have in Muslim immigration, you're going to have terrorism. No, I mean, yes to that. But no, it's not something we should expect to be a norm in our culture. So let's first tie this back to this continuing saga with defunding Planned Parenthood. In case you haven't heard, the House has already defunded Planned Parenthood. And if, you're, if your finger is right over the, the knob and you're in your car or something like that because you don't want to hear about uh, pro-life issues because you're sick and tired of that conversation, you think the Republicans should leave social issues alone, you're a part of the problem. The reason we have the problems we have is because we're not standing on the Republican Party platform and screaming out from that platform like a beacon saying, come hither, come hither. This is what we believe. This is what the way we govern when we're elected. This is our platform document. It's who we are. It's what we believe. It's how we roll. If we were to do that as a people, as Christians, if the Republicans would do that as a party, we would see many, many things in this country change. So hold on a second. We're going to get through this. It's Senator Joni Ernst. You know, she's a little bit of a hero in, in the Senate. She's a rock solid uh, voter for issues that impact Christians, namely pro-life, things like that. She's here in 2015 because I, I, I could have gone further back, but I thought, why not just stick with the most recent history? 2015, she's talking about a bill to protect women's health and take the money that's given to Planned Parenthood and redirect it to the 33,000 community health care centers that staff OBGYNs, nurse practitioners, and actual doctors who they don't provide abortions, but they provide every other aspect of women's care, including mammograms, STD testing, and the like. Now, why is this important? Well, I'll, I'll let you listen to her first to number four, and then we're going to get to the crux here. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today as we discuss an incredibly important topic. The recent footage depicting Planned Parenthood's role in the harvesting of organs, heart, liver, kidneys, of unborn babies is morally reprehensible and vile. The American people, Republicans and Democrats alike, are horrified by the utter lack of compassion shown by Planned Parenthood for these women and their babies. In fact, now Hillary Clinton is calling these Planned Parenthood images disturbing, and I agree. These videos are hard for anyone to defend and hit at the moral fabric of our society. What we are talking about is human life. Planned Parenthood is harvesting the body parts 
of unborn babies. I am so grateful for the hard and collaborative work of my colleagues to put forward this legislation. Importantly, in addition to defunding Planned Parenthood, our legislation ensures that federal funding taken from Planned Parenthood will be made available to other entities that provide health services for women, like community health centers and hospitals. So why is that important? There's, there's something she said there that's different than every other time a Republican has taken the podium and said that we need to defund Planned Parenthood. And the different thing that she said there is that after David Daleiden of the Center for Medical Progress came out with his videos, it's hard to believe this was back in 2015. It's 2018. We haven't had rioting. We have had no buildings burned to the ground. We've had no uh, 10 million woman march or 10 million men march on Washington, D.C., uh, or the, the headquarters of Planned Parenthood to protest them taking human baby parts that were aborted and instead of disposing of them in biomedical facilities as they're supposed to, they sold the parts and the, the videos are so graphic. It's, it's a stab to your heart to watch them. And I've watched every one of them. I got, I got to the point where I felt like I couldn't take it anymore and I couldn't watch the videos anymore. And then I felt like, this, this is our time. This is the time in which we live. And if I'm too weak to watch the videos, then I'm too weak to do anything about it. And so it was a, it was like actual physical labor watching the rest of them. But I did because I had to know exactly what's happening here. And it's real. And so you know, all the propaganda that's been put out by Planned Parenthood about the oh, this is, it's not true. A lot of Americans bought into that, not because they really believe it's not true, but because it is so much easier to say, I don't need to watch the rest of these videos because this is just propaganda. But the videos themselves, if you watch them, you know, it's not propaganda. You know, they're not edited. You know, it's not, you know, graphics or any kind of deception. It's the truth. And it's what's happening in our country today while we're driving our talking minivans and, you know, pressing the buttons on our dishwashers and loading our, our washers and our dryers. And even some of us putting our clothes into folding machines and having the clothes come out folded like they're at a retail shop. While we're doing all of that and riding around on our ride lawnmowers and while we have all of the technology at our disposal, the little talking cube that tells you what time it is and what, what, what the weather is, all of the computerization, all of the screens, all of the technology, the barbarism marches on. And it marches on with taxpayer funding. And that's what's important here because if you want to tune out and say, I already am pro-life, I don't support this, I'm praying for the pro-life generation, I'm praying for the end of Planned Parenthood and the end of abortion in America, amen to that, that's great that you're doing that, but your tax dollars are still funding Planned Parenthood. And that is how we are all culpable in this, we will all have to answer, and that is why it has to stop. It's not about really repealing Roe versus Wade, which is a fantastic idea, and I, I wish and pray that that would happen. But the funding of Planned Parenthood and their abortion business is our responsibility because our tax dollars fund it. Now, Rand Paul has been a leader on this for years. And while he and I don't match up on the foreign policy all the way, I have to say on the pro-life issue, he's been the warrior we need. We just need 50 more of him. We need, we, we need 57 more of him. 
So he says, this is just last week, he said that Republican leaders blocked his amendment to defund Planned Parenthood. And you have to hear this because as you're listening to this, you're going to hear a few things. We'll unpack it afterwards. It's number five. Planned Parenthood ends the lives of 320,000 babies each year. That's about 900 babies every day. Planned Parenthood receives over $400 million of taxpayer money. The government, with a wink and a nod, tells us that Planned Parenthood doesn't spend the money on abortions. But everybody knows that the taxpayers really cross-subsidizing Planned Parenthood's abortion mills. My amendment would end funding to Planned Parenthood. My amendment is already included in the House version. And yet, my amendment is now being blocked by Republicans. Why would Republicans block a vote on defending Planned Parenthood? May surprise some, because so many Republicans go home and say they're against Planned Parenthood. But this vote could happen right now, right now today, if Republicans don't object. Everybody knows that Democrats love abortion and Planned Parenthood more than life itself. But Republicans? Many voters think that Republicans actually care about the unborn. Many voters think Republicans are really opposed to government-funded abortions. But the dirty little secret is that Republican leadership is blocking my amendment to defund Planned Parenthood. That's right. The Republican leadership has filled the amendment tree to block my defund Planned Parenthood amendment. So what's important about that? That it's the Republicans. So we have two Republicans, the two female Republicans uh, that are... They're senators. This is all happening in the Senate. The House is good to go. This is happening in the Senate. We only have a 51 seat, you know, 51 out of 100 of those seats are the Republicans. So in order to get something done, you have to either eliminate the filibuster, as has been recommended by American Family Association and American Family Radio, or you have to um, you have to have some Democrats cross over. But if no Republicans are willing to strong arm some Democrats to to come over to our side so we can get the, the 60 votes we need, it won't happen. And when we come in from the break, you're going to hear from Senator Rand Paul's own mouth. He's done the analysis based on the statistics of how many geniuses and doctors, and et cetera, et cetera, are born in this country, meaning born and raised in America. How many of those were aborting on a yearly basis through Planned Parenthood with your dollars and mine? Then we're going to have Graham Allen, who's the host of Rant Nation. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call 1-800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option five, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there, twholyland.com.
Hi, this is Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Some years ago, a good pastor friend of mine experienced burnout. Years of leading a growing urban church and the pressures of meeting the unique challenges of the people in this community took their toll. He was discouraged and in the grips of a paralyzing depression. He took some time off for rest and healing. Well, God used an unlikely man to encourage him. They had very little in common with one another. They differed theologically in many other areas. But my friend said that this man cared deeply about him and that God used him as a very significant part of his healing. Sometimes God speaks through people in situations we would least expect. I thought about this when I read Ezra chapter 6, verse 22. The work of the rebuilding of the temple had stopped. The people were discouraged. Morale was low. But listen to these words as they got ramped up again. And they observed the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had caused them to rejoice and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. This unbelieving king says, I don't believe in your God, but I know that you were told to do this, and I want to remove every barrier, every hindrance to make sure that you're successful. Wow. God uses whomever he chooses, even pagan leaders of wicked nations. So keep your heart options open. You might be surprised at who God will use to lift your spirits and to give you what you need to keep going. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. God is a lot bigger than we think he is. He has what we need. It just may not be in the places we typically look. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Surely Republican leadership doesn't favor abortion funding? The answer is a curious one. The truth is that Republican leadership favors bloated government spending more than they care about Planned Parenthood. This appropriations bill before us exceeds the spending caps by nearly $100 billion. Big spending Republicans fear that blocking funding for Planned Parenthood would derail their plans to greatly expand the welfare warfare state. So be it. The public has long known the Democrats are the abortion party. Now the public will know that many Republicans just give lip service to pro-life issues and really are more concerned with bloated government spending than saving lives. Of the 320,000 babies that Planned Parenthood will abort this year, about 6,400, 6,400 of these babies would be geniuses. They would develop into geniuses if they were allowed to live. Perhaps one of these potential geniuses would have discovered a cure for cancer or Lou Gehrig's disease. Of the 320,000 babies aborted by Planned Parenthood every year, about 1,000 would become doctors, 1,500 would become engineers, 1,200 lawyers, 3,400 teachers, and 400 pastors. But all of that potential is lost each year as a consequence of Planned Parenthood. And so if that doesn't make you sit up and really think about what we're doing and who we're electing, who we're sending to Washington, D.C. to represent us, 
I'm not sure what can. If the videos don't do it for you, and that doesn't do it for you, the actual breakdown and analysis of what kind of treasure we're allowing Planned Parenthood to parse out like car parts and sell for their own profit, bloodthirsty lunatics profiting off of the death of human babies, well, I got nothing for you. I, I mean, I'm not sure what else wakes you up. Maybe, you know, I'm not sure. Do, do you need a good smack? What do you need? And then what do we need to do? We'll talk about that in the third segment, and we'll take your calls. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Graham Allen. He's the host of Rant Nation on CRTV. Graham, thanks for joining the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, it's good to talk to you. I'm, I'm really excited to hear your take on... <laughs> so you're an 11-year U.S. combat veteran, first of all. Amazing. Awesome. I'm a veteran, but not a combat veteran, so thank you for your service. Um, and you also have this perspective on... Tom Steyer, he's running around the country, he's a billionaire, he's acting like he might run for the presidency, and that he might kind of link arms with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who actually thinks America was never great. What do you think would happen if those two teamed up? Oh, I think that <laughs> I think that I'm probably going to just go dig a hole in the ground somewhere and bury myself at that point, like, <laughs> like many Americans probably would. Uh, I think that, unfortunately, that just seems to be this narrative that's going around here lately. And and I was having a conversation with someone last week, and I think it's because one thing that the, the you know the liberal media tries to do is they try to take a word like "great" and they try to change what "great" actually means. And what they're doing is they're confusing "great" with "perfect." America was never perfect. It's not perfect now, and it will never be perfect. That doesn't take away that we live in the greatest country in the world. You know, you, you can be great and not perfect. And, and so what they're doing is they're taking the meanings of words and they're changing it around to try to push this agenda that they actually have. And, and that agenda is to lie to the majority of Americans to make it seem like President Trump is not doing an amazing job across all fields. And that just seems to be the narrative that we're dealing with these days. You know, you make an excellent point because I, I think this is one of those situations like if we take this and boil it down to another analogy most people will identify with, it's when you talk about your spouse. I can say my husband is fantastic. He's wonderful. He's, he's an amazing husband. But if someone said, but is he perfect? I have to say no. <laughs> not, <Absolutely> not because <laughs> Yeah. So he's perfect for me. And in many ways, I think he's the perfect father to our children. I mean, I wouldn't want anyone else to be my kid's father. But if you right. just said plain old, like, yes or no, you only get to answer yes or no. Is he perfect or not? I'd have to say no because he's a human being and he is incapable of being perfect. And so the same thing applies to our country. And, I, and the point you're making about words is if we buy their definition, America was never great. America was never the good guy. America is not philanthropic. Americans don't protect every other westernized nation on the planet with our tax dollars and military might. We don't have the best system of government. We don't even have the best country to live in, yet everybody's trying to get in here. And when we go down that road, it leads to a lot of people thinking, well, we need to change the whole thing, when the reality is it's the best thing going. Right. No, exactly. And, and I agree with you there about the, uh, the spouse comment. I think my wife would have uh, no problems letting you know that I am not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Especially it's not, depending but it's not on an what insult. day you ask her. 
Yeah, uh, but it wouldn't but, be an insult to you. She would still yeah. only want to be your wife, but she would just be exactly. telling the truth. You're not perfect. I think it's it's we're we're getting this thing wrong. We're talking about the wrong stuff. <laughs> right. Well, well, unfortunately, that's what the liberal media and the mainstream media tries to do is they are attacking things and they're attacking words and narratives and they're trying to twist it to mean something that it doesn't. And by doing that, they're trying to push their agenda. And their agenda is to try to make it seem like Trump's America, whatever that means. You know, like, where did we come up with that term in the first place? This isn't Trump's America. This is our America. And our America elected Donald Trump to be our president. That doesn't make it his America. America Mm -hmm. belongs to not one individual, period. It belongs to all of us. And, you know, so, so what they do is they try to create this false thing that there's Trump's America and Trump's the next Hitler and he's <laughs> going to bring upon the apocalypse and all this other kind of stuff, uh, which, you know, if you read your Bible, I'm pretty sure the Bible says that, you know, everyone loves the Antichrist until he became the yeah. Antichrist. But, you know, yeah, that, yeah. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> there's a lot of people that hate Donald Trump, so therefore, in and of itself, your argument's invalid, but but that's a completely different topic for a completely different day. Well, uh, I don't know, Graham. It dovetails in nicely here on Christian Radio. The same thing people said, well, Obama's the Antichrist. And I remember saying, I'm like, okay, wait, I liked you until you said that. What? He can't yeah, be the Antichrist yeah. because fully half the country hates him. So that's not it. He's he's not the, and yeah. he's not from the, the middle, uh, he's supposed to be from an Eastern nation. He's not. We're a Western country. And America's not even mentioned in the end times. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but it's definitely not. So this is an interesting thing that you just mentioned that 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 people keep calling Trump Nazi. Right. So we're in the car listening to an Ann Coulter book driving down to visit our older daughter who's in college. And the younger daughter says to me, I don't understand the Nazi comparison. Um, She was like, am I wrong? Didn't Nazis kill millions of people? I was like, yes, yes, they did. So we talked about some of the things that the Nazis did, because I grew up in Germany and I've been to Auschwitz before. And so I talked about that and, and about how it was a systematic conversion of people's minds to get them to sing in church loudly and stand by silently as their neighbors were literally kidnapped in broad daylight and shipped off and they'd never showed back up again and their stuff was confiscated. And instead of people rising up against that, they'd been first normalized to the idea that those people weren't really people and therefore it was okay for this to happen. And as we spoke, she said, well, wait, I, she said, I remember some of this from school, but she's like, I'm pretty sure Donald Trump's never killed anyone. So even if you don't like him, the Nazi comparison just goes too far. And I was like, well, you're probably smarter than, I don't know, 30, 40 million people right in that moment because people are still saying that. And it's just not a comparison that works. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and I was having a similar conversation uh, and, you know, I'm terrible with the, uh, the days start to run together. But we were having a conversation about that, you know, claims of being a Nazi or claims of racism and claims of this and claims of that. And it's made by people that actually have no clue what, it's, what it was really like back in those times, right, or, or, or what it was really like for those people that actually had to deal with Nazis or actually had to deal with, you know, segregation and things like that. And, and, and to me, comments of that nature prove nothing more than just sheer ignorance to what it is they're actually trying to even make a case in point about in the first place, right? Yeah, it just throws the whole discussion out of whack to the point where you – it's not a discussion anymore because one person – 
is literally like that's like me saying my house is as big as this galaxy. You know, that's ridiculous. Right. If I, you know, that's not a conversation we can even have. A galaxy, not even as big as the planet, but the galaxy. So when you compare things like that and you make those kinds of crazy wild statements, then people are questioning your mental, you know, state as opposed to listening to what you have to say. And I know people have legitimate criticisms of the president. I don't mind that at all. What I mind is this idea that not only is he a Nazi, but we are all Nazi supporters or sympathizers because we prefer the form of government that he's trying to put together under duress with all of these investigations and everything. Oh, yeah. Well, well, I hear it. I hear it daily. And unfortunately, I hear it from other Christians as well, is people will tell me, you know, well, Graham, how can you claim to be a Christian and, you know, have voted for or support Donald Trump? And my response to that is, how can you claim to be a Christian and think that Hillary Clinton would have been any better? <laughs> yeah. But, but, but also, as Christians, you know, we are, we are called to, you know, obey the laws of the land, respect the offices of which, you know, our world and our society, you know, has, has set appointed this infrastructure that we have. And so I think it's a very unchristian thing to do. Uh, to completely condemn the president on every single thing that the president does when he's the elected leader right now for our country. I also think it's because it, this was something that happened when President Obama was in office, and it wasn't everyone, obviously. It's, it's never everyone. That's what's so crazy when people say everyone. No, everyone doesn't. But it was, it was, there were some people on the right who really felt like you know, Barack Obama could do no right. And I was opposed to everything in the Democratic Party platform. But I did feel like, you know, he would eventually do something that I that I would like just because even a broken clock's right, you know, twice a day. And I figured he might be right more often than that. He just wasn't going to be my policy guy. And so there were some things that I felt like, you know, his marriage, his his uh, interaction with his daughters, even though he's, you know, pro-abortion, I'm I, I would try to find something to kind of humanize it because Hating him would give me gray hairs, wrinkles, ulcers, and I wasn't willing to get any of those things for him. You know, it's just not worth it. And so there would be times where people would say, well, you know, they're kind of just like these crazy things. And I would say, well, you know, there's plenty to criticize him on. There's, I mean, look at his foreign policy. Like we can talk about true issues. And I think if I was hearing that from people who oppose the president, I would totally be willing to listen to that. I am listening to that. I, I do actually go to their sites and read some of the things that they don't like. But most of it is centered on the president being a racist, which we know he's not. Um, him being a Nazi, which we know he's not. Um, and, and him being uh, like illiterate or unable to process enough information to be the president, which I'm pretty sure that's not the case either. I mean, he was running a you know, multinational com- company for 40, 50, 60 years before he ever became the president. So I'm pretty sure... He's, you know, he's got the mental acuity to do it. When right. do you think they like if they take if it so their fantasy is to take the house back and impeach the president? At that point, do they calm down some, Graham, or do they completely go ham? Which which direction no. would they go? No, I, I don't think that they, I think Donald Trump's going to be elected president again in twenty twenty, and I, I think that they are going to you know raise whatever they can raise, no matter what, however they can, as long as Donald Trump is the president of the United States. And, and, and kind of going back to what you said about Obama, what, one of the biggest things that, that I hear as negative criticism for me, you know, now, now that we have the show and everything, is, well, where were you when Obama was in office? Da, 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 yeah. da. Well, <laughs> one, I didn't have the show back then, <laughs> or, or, you know, I probably would have said a lot more. 
But but I served under two different presidents in Iraq, and so I went to war underneath two different presidents. I went to war the first time underneath George Bush, and mm-hmm. I went to war the other time underneath uh, Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And I did not agree with everything that George Bush said. I definitely did not agree with a lot of what Barack Obama said or did. However, he was the president of the United States. And, and he was I your boss, him, wasn't yeah, he? And he was my, and he was my boss, right. He and was so the commander-in-chief of the U.S. Armed Forces mm-hmm. while you were on active exactly. duty. So you actually reported to him, and your command sponsorship mm-hmm. when you were overseas was underwritten exactly. by him. Yeah, right. I, I exactly. mean, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I tell people all the time, to me, I can be bitter that my candidate didn't win the election for for, for an appropriate amount of time, right? As an mm-hmm. adult, appropriate amount. Like, okay, the person you wanted to win did not win. However, this person is now president. And for you to actively want that president to fail, throw it in reverse. If Hillary Clinton had had won and mm-hmm. won the election. Let, let, let's just go there for a minute. Oh. I would have been completely mortified for our country. Yes. However, I would have prayed every day that she succeed because if she succeeded, then America would succeed. Right? Like, like, like that. That should be the mindset of every single person living in America. Why would you want? the metaphorical pilot of the plane that is America mm-hmm. to fail. Because if, if, if they fail, then they're going to take all of us down with them. And Graham, I, I was not there when President Obama was first elected. And I had to make myself pray for him because that's the wonderful thing about praying for someone. You can't hate him. If you, if you pray for someone, you cannot hate them. And so I got to a place where I was praying for him because I would see the decisions he was making overseas. And I think this is so terrible for our country I need to be praying for him, not because I love the guy, but because he needs to make better decisions for us. And that really kind of, that was my turning point where I could get around the corner. I was still trying to work to elect someone else. And, you know, when, after his first term, you know, that, that all happened. And I'm like you, I didn't have a show back, you know, when, when I couldn't talk during George Bush's time, I was in the military part of the time that he was president. And when it was, you know, Obama, I was not only not on active duty, I also didn't have my own show. And when I did, I did comment and I did try to bring some sanity to the conversation. We, we do what we can when we can. And I just I wish we could get some sanity right here, right now from the from the Democrats. I really do wish they would just calm down a little bit. Your show is Rant Nation. It's at CRTV, CRTV.com. Graham Allen, thank you for joining the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. It's been great to talk to you. We're going to come back. We'll take your calls at um, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. We will also finish up our conversation about these mass shootings right after this. Stay there. One of the first steps to becoming a Christian is recognizing our sinful nature. What makes this so difficult is that we have selective vision when it comes to our own issues. It's easy for me to see your faults, but when it comes to seeing my own, then my eyesight automatically gets bad. 
One surefire way to measure new birth in Christ is by opened eyes and a clear vision. Sometimes we can pass between having sight and having no sight because we have fallen asleep to the needs around us, or our perspective on those things that are eternal is distorted. Whatever the case, there is nothing more dangerous than having blurred vision and still thinking that it's clear. Don't measure your vision by your own standards. It will be warped and distorted every time, but rather measure it by God's standards. God desires that our eyesight remains clear. So how is your eyesight today? With the heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Here's Steve Tiber. Eight days of hope started after Hurricane Katrina, helping people in Bay St. Louis, Waveland, Mississippi, rebuild their homes back in 2005. Since then, this faith-based ministry has gone nationwide, and we've helped out dozens of cities, dozens of areas of the country after hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, or even snowstorms. And now you get a chance to be a difference maker. Eight Days of Hope 16. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus down in Houston from October 13th to October 20th. You can come for as little as three days or stay all eight days. We provide the food and lodging. We're looking for skilled professional and people like me who are less skilled and just want to give back. For more information, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. Click on the event, 8 Days of Hope 16. Read the FAQs and learn more about how you can make a difference with 8 Days of Hope. Learn more and sign up to be a part of 8 Days of Hope 16 in Houston, Texas at 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. Securing America. The school buses are rolling again and with students back in school. Law enforcement officers across the country are turning to the latest training to ensure they have the best tools available to de-escalate a real-life situation when seconds count. So anything that the officer would do in a stressful environment, we can mimic in there through malfunctions to uh, realistic reloads. Matt Cunningham with Mega Training Systems says the virtual training uses split-second use-of-force evaluations. Nathan Fiddle with the Gwinnett County, Georgia Sheriff's Office says the training could be helpful for teachers. If it comes down to trying to train in a judgmental situation and to discern the facts that you have at the time and be able to act upon those with the proper level of force, absolutely it could be useful. The training features five screens, surround sound, realistic video scenarios, and weapons that feel and sound like the real thing. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. All right, welcome back to the show. It was great to talk to Graham Allen. I love his perspective, and, and he really, he's a kind of rising star in the movement, kind of out there speaking truth to power, especially from his perspective as, as a uh, two-time combat veteran. It's it's great to see that. Um, we need more voices like that out there telling the truth and speaking to a various, you know, varied group of audiences that really honestly are springing up because the media has taken control of so many, like, just turn the TV on. And I know if you, if you have, if you have cable, then you're already there. You already see everything that's going on. But if you, we don't, we, we unplugged. And so when we're somewhere, like we were at a hotel over the weekend, so we had regular television, we had cable and me and the girls were watching it for a few minutes. I was like, whoa, you know, the commercials. Now there's every, every commercial has a homosexual couple in it. It's like, really? Where, who do you think's buying all this stuff? It's regular couples that are buying all this stuff. What are you doing? So let's get back to this. I'm, I, want, I want an understanding of where 
we are in this country. And it's not, I'm not some angry, crazed, you know, on here, you know, banging my fist and screaming and ranting about this. This is a question that people are asking. Why are we having mass shootings? We have an uptick in terrorism because we have people living here who don't understand the rule of law. We have a surge in immigration, people coming from third world countries who are now in America. They have access to firearms and they're using them to, some of them are, 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 been co-opted into ISIS. They've pledged allegiance to ISIS. Some of them are just angry. They're doing honor killings. They're doing murders. They don't like their coworkers. Their coworkers celebrate Christmas. There's a whole bunch of different reasons why people are doing these things, but it is all tied back to in the Bible. If you, if you look so often, the Israelites would turn away from God. And then when they would, God would remove his hand of blessing, not all the way, but he sometimes they get captured off into captivity or they'd have violence in their lands and people would ride in and take them over and carry the women and and some of the children off to to slavery and and marry off into other nations and they would have to rebuild. And this was always after they'd been warned and they'd been warned and they'd been warned. And one of our biggest warnings that I feel like has happened in recent times is those videos from the Center for Medical Progress about what Planned Parenthood is doing with the aborted babies. And I know there was in in the Christian world a collective outcry of grief and sorrow and there was a lot of prayer and some fasting, but we have not yet come to a place where we are on our knees desperately asking God's forgiveness for contributing to that madness because it's it's not just that Planned Parenthood was selling the baby parts for a profit. It's that our research universities were buying the parts. Now we come to find out that they some researcher, some some Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde person has been grafting human. To, so it's the aborted baby parts, the cells from that onto mice, creating human mice to, to so that they can test different things on those. That's where we are. And so while some people are wondering, well, what's going on? What's happening? Why do we have, you know, why are the kids shooting each other at school? Well, the kids, some, you know, ton of these kids are hopped up on medications, psychotropic medications to control their behavior. The original behavior control method, spanking, has been removed from so many states you can get arrested for spanking your kid. Kids who have corporal punishment are much less likely to have the need to be medicated so they can control themselves. It's pretty amazing. And I'm not talking about some crazy, outlandish, you know, angry parent abusing their child. I'm talking about judicious spanking given by parents who are neither angry nor screaming or yelling or even upset and done when children are very, very young to get them to learn obedience. And not all children need to be spanked, but definitely some of them do. And Once they get to a certain age, the spanking is so far behind you because you've already done the work. You've already talked to that child. You've counseled them. You brought them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord and you've spanked them when it is absolutely necessary and they understand authority and their spirit is calmed. And I've, I've had this argument so many times with people, people who don't have kids, people who only have one kid. It's so much easier to control one child. But I mean, I, I often see people who have just that one child and the child is just running wild and they don't seem like they can control it. So maybe that's not the truth. It is absolutely necessary that the parenting job is taken seriously. And that if I remember talking to my husband's aunt and we, I was 
like crying myself to sleep over our oldest daughter because we had decided we weren't going to be spankers because that was the way we were raised and that was just barbaric. And she said, well, I can't believe she's acting like that if you're, if, you know, if you're spanking her because she would definitely learn her lesson. She would not be screaming and having these 55-minute temper tantrums. And I said, oh, well, we don't spank. She said, oh, well, if you don't spank her, the police sure will when she's 17 or 18 because if she doesn't learn to obey you, she'll never obey authority and someone else will have to tame her. And we, we went to the Lord in prayer and we start spanking. And now we don't have to worry about that stuff. We, it's not something that goes on through their whole childhood. Now, I'm off on a tangent, but the point is that if, if something as basic as being able to swat your child on the rear end a couple of times when they get out of hand can land you in DCFS, you know, Department of Children and Family Services, then we definitely have gone a long way away from our biblical moorings. And so, you know, how, how much more do we have to see? If we won't protect life in the womb and we're destroying babies, how can we be shocked if the babies that do survive aren't so concerned about shooting up their classmates? It's not the guns. Previous to our modern times, all kids had access to guns. Their parents had shotguns. The parents had shotguns on the back of the, the truck. Parents had shotguns laying around the house. Kids took shotguns to school and they had rifle club. They would take their 22 to uh, kids hunted. Kids had access to big knives because they would hunt and they would clean game with their parents. They would hunt on their own as kids. It's not the guns. It's the people. So you've got our Senate, which is controlled by Republicans, actually working to stop Rand Paul from defunding Planned Parenthood because that is when they lose their, their legitimacy. This, this is the conversation that we have to have. They would lose their legitimacy if they were defunded. And that is why they hold on to it so desperately. Because most people don't, most people don't like the idea of abortion. But the idea that the government funds it means they're like, well, it must be something that we have to support because the government's funding it. And the government wouldn't fund something that was, you know, inherently evil. Well, of course the government would. The government used to be in favor of slavery. I mean, the government's been wrong before, but, you know, it's been wrong recently. It's been wrong today. So what do we do about it? You're probably thinking, well, wow, you've, you, you know, painted a pretty dreary picture. Sure, pretty dreary picture. But what do we do about it? Well, I'm going to tell you, I was doing some, some reading and I was really, you know, I was, I was in my prayer closet and I felt like, I was like, what, what is happening? Why are so many of these, you know, some of these prayers we're praying, they have to be the will of God, but we're not getting an answer. Well, that's because sometimes you pray and sometimes you fast and pray. So the Bible doesn't say, if you decide you'd like to fast, then you can fast in this way. It says, when you fast, it says when you give, so we're supposed to tithe. We know we're supposed to tithe because it says when you give. It says when you pray. We know we're supposed to pray. And we know we're supposed to fast. It says when you fast. So he doesn't require us to, but it's an expectation for those of us who have gotten off the milk and are in the meat. You know, we're, we've grown on a little bit. And now we claim to be able to tell others we, we have to be fasting. And it's not fun, but anyone can do it. Fasting is an invitation. When you fast, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Matthew 6, 17 and 18. Fasting is a paradox. When we fast, our bodies are weak and hungry, 
but our hearts become tender and more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, there are seven types of biblical fasting. And two more things. Fasting is a grace. Um, We can't do it by our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit to do it. And fasting is an expression of humility because we humble ourselves before God because we not just admit we can't do it on our own, but we're saying we need to be spiritually broken in order to really put ourselves in the right mindset to be able to communicate with our Father. So seven types of biblical fasting. We want to fast to experience a greater measure of the power of God in our personal ministries. And every one of us has a ministry, whether you're just watching the kids all day and there's no just in that. That's God's work, watching kids, raising them, teaching them to fear God, teaching them to be good citizens and and to be uh, obedient. If you're working in a, a, you know, a business, a factory, wherever you own your own business, these are all your ministry. That's where you've been placed to do God's work. And what we know is that we can fast for direction. We can fast for the fulfillment of God's promises. We can fast for the uh, stop to a crisis, which we have a crisis going on right now. We have a few. We have a few crises going on right now in this nation. Joel 2, 12 through 13 says, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. So God says, if you want protection or you want the end to a crisis, you can fast. And this is what the church has to do. And the church is you. If you're listening to this show, we're, we're the church. We have to do this. Fasting for protection. Many examples in the Bible of prayer and fasting for personal protection. After the Jewish captives from Babylon returned to Israel to begin rebuilding their nation, they were in need of help. So Ezra, the priest, led a group of Jews back to Israel to help them rebuild Jerusalem. While they were still making preparations to travel, they took time to fast and pray, asking God for protection because the journey was dangerous. Because back in those days, your caravan would get overtaken by a band of thieves and they'd kill all the people and steal everything in the caravan. They'd take all the the goods. And so they fasted and they prayed for protection, which we can do. We can fast for insight into God's end time plan. And we can fast for intimacy with God, which is the bridegroom fast, which is where we want to experience more of God's presence. And so in in all of these examples, if you notice, it's because we realize that all the military might in the world isn't protecting us from an invasion of migrants from south of the border who are coming here. And some of them are just working and earning a living. And some of them are killing, raping, kidnapping, and, you know, doing all kinds of mayhem right here in America. We want to put a stop to that. But how do we do it? So this isn't about doing a 40-day fast. I've never done one of those. But it is about committing yourself to fast on a regular basis. And while you're fasting, because if without prayer, it's just a diet, asking God to deliver us, to send godly legislators to Washington, D.C., regardless of their political party. I would vote for a pro-life Democrat who wanted to defund Planned Parenthood and seal the southern border. I absolutely would. This isn't about party. It's about what they believe. And the Republicans are falling down on the job anyway. I mean, as much as I want to see them do right and stick to that party platform, they're funding Planned Parenthood. They have not strong-armed their counterparts on the other side of the aisle into to funding the border wall and sealing the border. They have the numbers to do it. They could just go to a simple majority vote and use the vice president as the tiebreaker. We're sitting up here waiting for the replacement for John McCain so that we can get that extra vote to do what? We 
are not getting what we need from these people because we don't ask. What does the Bible say about that? You have not because you ask not. But it's not just asking, it's seeking, it's knocking, it's fasting, it's praying, it's going to that throne and getting down low, humbling ourselves, admitting that our land is full of sin, overrun by wickedness and darkness, and that there is only one answer to that, and that is the saving grace of Jesus Christ and fasting and prayer for those of us who claim righteousness so that we can bring this to the very gates of hell and take hold of the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. That is our calling. I'm calling you out. Annas who are in this audience, you know who you are. You know who Anna was in the Bible. That was a praying woman married for seven years. Husband dies and she spent the rest of her years on into her upper 80s in the temple praying, not just for her nation, but for other people in her community. That was her legacy. And she's not one of a kind. There are Annas in this audience. You know who you are. You know who you are. It's time. It's time for us to take hold of what God didn't leave us with the Holy Spirit and fasting like, well, you know, if you feel like using that. No, he knew we'd have dark times and dark days. And that is why he left us the ability to pray and fast. And so it's also for those personal struggles that whatever that demon is that you've been working and battling against, and you're like, I'm just not getting anywhere with this. Pray and fast on it. I'm talking about a commitment that we have to have as Christians to show the world that we really do have the keys to the buffet for the starving, for the sick, for the hungry, the lonely, the confused, everybody who's wandering around, they're looking for some kind of crystal that can do it. Have you noticed there's this big new thing about people buying crystals and if you can't afford to buy crystals, you use some borax and some food coloring and you make your own crystals at home and then you can sit with the crystals and cross your legs and do a little finger thing and you know, and the crystals will give you calm. They'll give you energy. The certain crystal can represent this or that. Ah, it's bunk. That's garbage. There's no crystal. There's Jesus. And for people who are, you, oh, I don't believe in that. Well, good for you. You know, you'll get there. Get, get on out the way. Let, let the rest of us who do believe get down to the basics that we know. We know what works. We know that the that God's word is true, that when he says something, He's, he's waiting on us so he can perform it. He's called us forward for this work. And all we have to do is follow what he said. I know we can do it. You're not listening to the show by accident. We have to fast and pray so that we can make a difference in our nation. Let's do that. We'll be back with our two right after these messages from One News Now.